Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope uh, that most of you are feeling feeling better. Uh, today, it's been quite a couple of weeks uh, for, for everyone. Pastor Rick is starting to feel better. Ginny... Uh, is not. I know Rich and Janet, I, I think they're still not feeling real well. Uh, I can't imagine Richie being stuck in the house for two weeks. If you know Richie at all, uh, lift, lift Janet up in your prayers uh, in, in that. I know it's hard for him. He likes to be active, but I uh, hope everyone is feeling, feeling better. I was thinking about the different jobs that I've had through the years besides pastoring. Pastoring is my favorite job that I had have had. My first job was working at a furniture refinisher where I would uh, strip the initial coating off of the, the furniture and do that. And on the resume, instead of stripping furniture, it said first stage furniture refinisher. See, it's all in the packaging. That was the first job. Actually, the first job I probably ever had was an unpaid job working for my parents and their business uh, in that. But that was the first paid job that I had. And then in college, I was, uh, I was a janitor at one point. I worked in a, you'll, you'll find this hard to believe, but for a catering company, uh, you'll find that hard to believe. And uh, washing dishes and pots and pans and all the cleanup that went along with that. Uh, I did get paid for that, but the best part of that was they would give us the food, you know, that was left over. That's really why I had had that job. Um, what else? I've been, uh, I've worked in a dry cleaner. I don't know. I don't know what else. But my, other than pastoring, but my favorite job that I ever had was in the summers when I was in college. This is going back to the 80s, 85 to 88, something like that. And I was working in a warehouse. That was a fav my favorite job I've ever had. The other day I was talking to Dora about, oh my goodness, I'd love to go back to working in the warehouse again. It was such a great time. And then she looks at me just stone faced and says, y you know, you're not as young as you were back then, right? <laughs> So like a, a cold dose of reality hit me. So I'm just going to keep pastoring for the time being. Uh, I don't know what response I was expecting, but I don't know. I think I should have gotten some response out of that. Some of you are already looking on uh, talent.com to see if there's any warehouse jobs open for me. Uh, indeed. Indeed. Um, Amazon is true. They're, they're always hiring. But anyway, but my favorite job ever was working in the warehouse. And part of the reason that I loved it, I loved the people. They were foul and vulgar uh, people. But I loved them. And, and God was able to use me in the, the midst of that darkness in some of the greatest ways that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, just, just powerful times, which I'm not going to get into. But the other reason that I liked it was the equipment I got to use. So here's a picture of one of the tools. This is not me because when I was, we didn't have as easy access to pictures back in the day. You remember we used to have these things, they were called cameras and they had film. Do you remember that? And you'd had to take it someplace to get it developed. Do you remember those? Anyway, so, but this was a power jack. And it was the first piece of equipment that I learned to use. And I didn't, I, it was, it looked easier than it was. 
but they were pretty powerful and you kind of hopped on and you would, you would learn to kind of hop and go as you hit the handle forward so you were moving with it. And one of the things we used to like to prank guys with is we would disconnect the battery cable. So they would always run to get on their jack and they would hop on and nothing would happen and they would fall off and we would all laugh. You know, just part of the fun of the day. That was fun. Learned to do that. I had a single one and a double one like that one, one or two pallets. The double one was, that took me a long time to maneuver. They took me into this back room where it didn't matter as much what I damaged. And uh, that's where I learned to do that. And then I, I, I learned to drive a stand-up uh, forklift. And the, the hard part about that was is when the forks are forward, you'd go backwards. You steer it backwards. It's when the forks are behind you that you steer it forward. And, you know, that took a lot of getting used to. And then you, you have all these different things. I don't know that I could still do it. But you, you, you learn to, you know, you lift the forks and you go into the pallet and you tilt them a little bit and you bring them out. And I may or may not have run the forks through the product and not the pallet <laughs> a couple times. I remember one time, I, it was um, shampoo because we dealt with a lot of non- Oh, yeah, you think that's funny. My other jokes, yeah, you don't laugh at all. But uh, it, we did non-food stuff, so we had, you know, just aisles and aisles of shampoo and stuff like that, and it was just, that was not good, not good. Drop stuff and all, all of those sorts of things as you're, as you're learning. But and then this was the one, this was called a cherry picker, and you would ride this. Show the next picture. Who's up there? Oh, Amanda. This is a cherry picker. This is where you would maybe need a box or a few, but you didn't need the whole pallet, and so you would ride on it, and then it would lift you up and uh, you would go get what you needed from there. And that was terrifying as well, because you were higher up in the air. You know, after you've worked in a warehouse for a little while, I ended up riding on pallets up. I mean, you did all kind of stupid things, and they weren't as strict back then as what they are now. You know, a couple guys fall, land on their head, and it changes everything, it really does. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, is there another one? So basically what we did was we would we worked for a uh, grocery store and regional pharma pharmacy, like a CVS, but regional. And we would fill the orders. And so you would go around and you're either stocking the shelves uh, or you're filling the orders. And then we had the conveyor belt where it was mostly ladies, and that's not a sexist thing. Just in that day, it was mostly ladies doing it. And they would get their ad sheet and they would pull the orders, put them in the box, work their way through, grab it for this store, you know, 749, whatever it was, put it on the pallet, shrink wrap it, take it to the dock, send it out on a truck. That's basically what we did. But these pallets alone, just a pallet alone, is heavy. Very, very heavy. And even back then when I was younger, I struggled. I wasn't as, uh, I was thinner back then. Uh, but anyway, they were heavy. They were heavy. But you put all the boxes on it, and they're very heavy, and they're impossible to move. Now watch. They were impossible to move. The only way we could move them around was on the equipments because the equipments were powered. They were powered equipments. Our promise for the th today is that God will give you power. Now here's my point. Ready? You, can't, you cannot move those pallets in your own strength. And you cannot live the life God wants you to live in your own strength. But you can move those pallets with the right power 
And you can live the way God wants you to live with His power. Isn't that good news? That's good news. And the power that He offers us as believers is available to all believers. Okay? Sometimes we live life, and you can go to the next one. Sometimes we live life trying to lift these heavy loads on our own. And two things about that. First of all, maybe you're trying to move a pallet figuratively that you shouldn't be moving. Maybe you're putting all of your energy into something God doesn't want you to do. And you're wondering why you don't have the power that you need. But when God tells you to do something and you do it, He gives you the power that you need to accomplish more than you could ever accomplish in your own strength. Do you understand what I'm saying? So today we're going to talk about how God, no, go back to not that one. That's the end. Go back to the original picture of the promise. I have one more good illustration at the end. Actually, I have a couple illustrations. Hopefully they're good, but I know the last one is good. So, um, so we need that power. So why do I want to live in the power of God? First of all, He gives us a better life now. That if we live according to His Word and His ways, it's just a better life now. That's just the way it is. His laws and His principles and truths are for our benefit. I would say it like this. His prohibitions, the things that we shouldn't do, are for our provision and protection. You see? That's because everything He does and how He works is for our good and for His glory. When we live His way through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's just a better life. But here's the other part of it, and this is something I'm going to emphasize next year, which is only a few weeks away, is that God has standards in which we as believers are to live. We receive salvation as a gift of God's grace. But sanctification, meaning become more like Jesus, takes work. And it takes obedience. And I read, I read this, or I saw it, or I heard a sermon, whatever it was, and the guy said this. It was so simple and so life-altering to me. And I just, it's within a month. All roads lead to the judgment seat of Christ. I thought, whoa. Like, I knew that in my head, and I knew that theologically. All of a sudden, I began to realize the impact and the truth of that, that no matter what road you take, it ends up at the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of... Uh, I don't want to get into all that. That's not judging the saved from the unsaved. Okay? That's the white throne. This is the Bema seat. This is for believers when we stand before Jesus Christ to give an account of what we did with what He gave us. See? We're all going to stand there someday. And I just kept thinking, wow, I want to eliminate any excuse I have in my life for not doing what God wants me to do. Because all roads end up in the same place. In fact, one of the funny things, going back to the warehouse, and then I'll stay focused and I'll, I'll keep going. Um, the guy that, that harassed me the most, because they knew I was in Bible school and I would read my Bible during... Now, I didn't make a show of it because I never believed in that. But, you know, when I had a break or lunch or whatever... I would, you know, I had a little Bible that I would read. That was before we had cell phones and everything. I had a little Bible that I kept in my pocket, and I could see the words back then, like it wouldn't work for me now. And they knew I was going to Bible school and, and, and all of that. This one guy, 
he just harassed me to no end. And he would just, and I didn't care. Like, that stuff didn't bother me because I could give it right back just in a godlier way. In fact, this is terrible, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. He was not the, the brightest tool in the warehouse, in the, in the shed. So I could say things to him and insult him. He didn't even know what I was saying. It was kind of fun. Anyway, he would harass me to no end. Vulgar things and terrible things and lifestyle things that he was involved in and everything. And, and, uh, but him and his brother were out drinking. And while he was driving, he hit someone. And if they died, it was going to be bad. Bad. Well, out of hundreds of employees that he could have gone to, guess who he came to? See, those are the opportunities that God gave me, you know. And, but at one time, I don't remember his name uh, right, right now, and he was harassing me about something, and I'll, I'll call him Johnny. Johnny, um, you, you realize that someday you're going to have to stand before God, and I'm not going to be with you, right? You, you get that, right? That someday you're going to stand there by yourself on your own giving account for your life, right? You get that. And wow, that blew dude away. I wish I could say he fell on his knees and accepted the Lord. I don't know that. I don't even know what became of him. But an opportunity, because all roads ultimately lead to Jesus. So why do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? It's a better life now. But when I stand before God and when you stand before God, I want it to be the best day of your life. The best day where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the only way to have that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot live the way God wants you to live without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an Acts 1.8, and we're not there yet. I'm going to give you John first, okay? So Jesus told them in John 13 that he was going to be leaving them, and they were troubled. That's why John 14.1 says, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. That actually means rooms. We're not going to have our own separate house. We're going to be part of the house. And then uh, if I go and prepare a place for you, that's John 14, 3. And so he's telling them, now that I'm leaving, this is what's going to be happening. I'm going, but if I go, I'm going to come back. But in the meantime, here's what's going to happen to you, Okay. Number one, you're going to be hated. Number two, you're going to be rejected. Number three, you're going to be persecuted. And then finally, you're going to be killed. <laughs> Encourage one another with these words. <laughs> but look at John 15, 19. This is Jesus' words. The world would love you as one of its own if it belonged to you, or if you belong to it. See? But we don't belong to the world any longer. I chose you to come out of the world so the world hates you. See? Hates you. And I, I think in some ways, if the world loves the church too much, it's possible we're not doing what we need to be doing. And that the church is called not to appease the world, but to be the prophetic word to the world. Okay? And unfortunately, because of our dabbling in politics, instead of a prophetic word, we've offered a pathetic word. And then we just blame the world for being the world. See, we want a seat, oh boy, we want a seat at the table when Jesus says they're going to hate you 
for proclaiming that everyone will stand before Jesus someday. Then you'll be rejected. You'll be rejected. So hatred is the emotion. Rejection is part of the action. It gets worse. They will intentionally persecute you. And it will ultimately lead you to death. John 16, 1 through 4. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, kicked out of your church. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service to God. He doesn't say maybe. He says the time is coming they're going to kill you and they're going to think they're doing God's work. And that's what Saul Paul was doing. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Ready, break. Can you imagine that pep talk before the game? Okay, fellas, here's what's going to happen. I've been your coach for three years, but I'm not even going to be at the game. But you're going to go out there, you're going to run out there, and that team is going to wipe you out. They're going to beat you at every level. You don't stand a chance against what they're going to do to you. You will be destroyed. But here's the good news. By being destroyed, you're going to win. And, they're gonna, and, and by dying, you're going to actually live. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to get out there and not one of your plays that you think will work will work. They'll be ready for you and they'll destroy you. Ready, go. That's what Jesus was saying here. This is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be hated. You're going to be uh, uh, rejected. You're going to be persecuted. And you're ultimately going to be killed. Ready? Go. Go ye into all the world, he says in Matthew 28, and preach the gospel to every creature. That's actually, uh, that's probably the Mark version. But the Matthew version of the Great Commission is, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what I want you to do. Going back to John, now watch, I'm leading all up to Acts. But even though all this is going to happen to you, and this is what I want you to do, I will send you another advocate, the Spirit of Truth. That's what we're talking about. And he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Actually, I'm not leaving you alone even though you won't see me out there. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. And the Holy Spirit I'm sending with you is what he'll do in Acts chapter 1-8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then we read in Acts chapter 2 that everyone that was in the upper room, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, was filled with the Holy Spirit. They received, watch, the power to do what Jesus had called them to do, which was to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for your sins because you're a sinner. He rose again on the third day that you might live with Him forever. And He is the ultimate judge and someday you will stand before Him. That's what I want you to do. And here's how you're going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now how were they in a place to receive the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to go deeply into the uh, the, 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 the doctrine of subsequence in that meaning that they received the Spirit at salvation 
and then the fullness of the Spirit at uh, Pentecost, okay? But let's just say this, that they were already saved before Acts 1.8. Jesus had already breathed on them. They were already saved. Now they were being filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? And Jesus tells them this, and this is part of how we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Going back to Luke. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit back and forth because I want you to see what Jesus was telling them, how difficult it was going to be, what he wanted them to do, how he was going to empower them, and then this is how you receive the power. Are you still with me? Okay. So he says in Luke 24, 49, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. We used to call the baptism in the Holy Spirit the promise of the Father. Okay? But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from on heaven. These parallel passages between Acts 1-8, you will receive power. And this one in Luke, okay, will, are um, showing us what we will receive and how we will receive it. What we will receive and how we will receive it. So watch. How do we receive the power of the Holy Spirit? Obedience to the known will of God. Now let me break it down. Why can't we lift the pallet that we're trying to lift? Because we don't have the power. Why are there some things in our, ish, in our life that we continue to have defeat after defeat after defeat? One thing is you might be trying to do something that God hasn't called you to do. And if we're honest, we all put our hands on boxes that aren't ours. We worry about this person and that person and somebody else's issues. And, oh, I'm sorry. This is going to be a little upfront. We worry about everybody else's issues and we don't take care of the own issues that we have. And I think in some ways we put our focus on other people's issues to be distracted from our own issues because we don't want to deal with them. I'm sorry. Not sorry. But that's the reality of it. You know, I like to cut through all the baloney because I only have so much time. And someday all roads meet at the same place. So, you know, and so we don't, we're not seeing victories happen. And not just victory that the thing is, is uh, 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 completed or the obstacle is removed. The real victory comes not in the removal of the obstacle, but in the peace he gives while we're facing the obstacle. We can't guarantee that that obstacle is going to be removed because we don't fully know what God is doing. But we can have peace in the midst of it. Okay? That's the real victory. We can't, what, what did he say to them? Why, I'm telling you this so that you won't abandon the faith. Where is the victory? Not, in that they over, not that they won't be persecuted. That's not the victory. The victory is that you won't abandon the faith. See, the victory for us in this life is that we still hold on to faith. I hope this doesn't upset you, but I preached at your husband's funeral in Williamstown, and I forget the name of the funeral home, but Doug had gone through a lot, and Vi had been through a lot. This lady is a saint. If you don't know it, you should know, and if you don't know her, you should get to know her. There is no finer person I know that's been through more than Vi.
when she took her vows, she meant it. But when he passed away and he had gone through a very difficult time, I preached from Hebrews. And I don't remember every sermon, every funeral sermon I preached because there's been a lot of them, unfortunately. But I said this, he died trusting the Lord. That's how we all want to go. We don't know how we're going to go, but I do know I want to die trusting the Lord. And the victory is not that Doug was healed of everything he went through. The victory was that he died trusting the Lord, and now he's healed for all eternity. And we think that victory only comes by taking away all of our problems. The power of the Holy Spirit actually gives you something more than removing all of your problems. He gives you peace in the midst of the storm. He gives you wisdom to make the right decisions. He gives you joy even in the midst of circumstances. And one of the things about Vi is her sense of humor. And if her sense of humor was based on life circumstances, she would never smile again. That's the victory. The victory is that even if God doesn't take this away, I will still praise him. And I will still trust him. That's the victory. Now, the reason this is so important, and I've got to share all of this with you. I only have so much time on earth. I don't want to go to heaven having thought I should have shared this. We can put too much emphasis on the answers to our own prayer and not the answer God wants to give us. And when we put too much emphasis on the answers we want and not the answer he wants to give us, it's very easy for us to lose faith, get discouraged, disgruntled, and angry at God. But what the power of the Holy Spirit will help you to do when you live in obedience to the known will of God is he will give you the peace, the joy, the happiness, the wisdom, the understanding to hold on to faith in the midst of the greatest storms. All right, so what was the known will of God to them? Stay in Jerusalem. Five, Jesus appeared to 500 people. Only 120 ended up in the, hundred, in the upper room. Now, I don't know if they didn't buy tickets and it was too late. Anybody get that? No. But somewhere along the line, 380 people missed, missed it. But to those 120, they lived in obedience to the known will of God. Well, what does Jesus want me to do? Uh, I'm not sure past that. I'm sure he'll let me know. But I do know at this moment I'm to be in this upper room. And not only am I to be here, but I'm just to wait here. And I don't know about you, but I don't think it's changed through the years. I hate waiting. It's one of the worst things in the world is waiting. But he told them to stay and wait. And then the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And maybe they ask, well, how will we know? And I, I don't know that Jesus said this, but I'm thinking that he might have said this. Uh, oh, you'll, you'll know. <laughs> There'll be no doubt. And that's why, again, as Assemblies of God, we believe in the initial physical evidence. But that's a doctrinal class for another time. Wait till the Spirit comes. Receive the fullness of the Spirit. Then you will go and be my witnesses. And when you determine to be my witnesses, you will be hated, rejected, 
persecuted and killed, and that's when you'll be fully alive. If you want the fullness of the Spirit in your life, be obedient to the known will of God. Sometimes people will say as an excuse, nobody here in this room, but I've heard it said, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. And in 35 years of ministry, I found that most people know exactly what they're supposed to do. They just don't want to do it. Or they're afraid to do it. Because if you're a believer, God's already spoken to your heart, either through his word or through someone else. And you know what you're supposed to do. You just are afraid to do it or you just don't want to do it. You're living in rebellion. And you cannot live in the fullness of the spirit and in rebellion against God's known will at the same time. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So be obedient to the known will of God. If his word says it, that's his will. Do what he tells you to do. Go where he tells you to go and tell those he tells you to tell. And your responsibility is not the outcome. Your responsibility is to be obedient. The outcome is up to that person and them. But what a glorious time God has given us in this Christmas season to be able to lift up the name of Jesus. You're not going to hear it. The world's not going to hear it anywhere else. But we can still talk about Jesus. And even if we can't still talk about Jesus, we need to still talk about Jesus. I know that there are so many Pentecostal believers in China that they can't even keep a record of how many there are. Within 100 years, there are 600 million Pentecostal believers. We're living the greatest revival that humanity has ever seen. The greatest revival. There has never been more people getting saved on a daily basis than what we're living now. And that's just a fact. And they don't even know how many in China. But what I'm hearing from reliable sources within missions is that there's a tremendous revival going on in, anybody know? Iran. Don't watch the regular news. Find something more credible with a spiritual tinge to it. And you will know that God is pouring out His Spirit in these last days. This upheaval that's happening over there is a clash of kingdoms. And someday we'll be a part of this. Every tribe and every nation gathered around the throne of God, worshiping Jesus Christ and saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And we're living it now. All right. Let me skip through some of this. Bill and Susan were our, uh, 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 what were they? Studio audience. studio audience today in the studio. I invited them to come and see behind the scenes. And they did such a great job and they seemed to enjoy it so much. We're going to start charging people to do that. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it was too late. They just wouldn't pony up any cash uh, for, for today. But, but going, going forward, and I said, uh, are you staying for the next service? And they were like, well, are you preaching? And I said, well, yeah. And they said, well, no. No, we're, we've, uh, we've, we've heard enough. 
they're still here. Like, if you don't know who they are, you don't get that joke at all. Uh, but they're still here. Okay, uh, let me finish up here. I got one more story, and I'll be done. It's, it's early yet, but I'm, I'm going to be done. Land the, land the plane. All right, show that last picture. This is my other favorite part about working in a warehouse, and it was the trucks. And I, because I could read and write uh, when I was in the warehouse, and this is, well, no, this is semi-true. This is semi-true, and it's, it was sad uh, in some regards. It's very funny because it just is, but it was sad. The local, the owner of the company, the big owner of the company, he uh, was involved in the local university, so he would employ all the basketball players in the summer. And the sad reality was is they couldn't read or write, and it was sad. Here they were in college. They were huge, very good basketball players, but the one kid, and it is funny, and he thought it was funny too, um, all he could do was push the broom around and because they couldn't trust him to get orders or anything like that. So anyway, it was, and then he would leave and then he would get fired and then he would go to the owner and get hired back and forth. It was craziness, craziness. But, but another guy and I, we could read and write. So we got all the good jobs. When guys would go on vacation, we would fill in for them. And one of the best jobs in the warehouse at the time was unloading the trucks because there was flexibility and things like that, and you had to check things in and, and uh, things. And I learned to play that whole system. I didn't understand that the local drivers didn't want you to unload their truck quickly. Does anybody get that? Because if you're local, they had to go back and get another load. And they would tell me, dude, slow down. Slow down. I got it. The independent guys wanted you to go as quickly as possible because that was, time was money. Oh, I got cursed out one time. Worst I've ever been cursed out since a board meeting. Uh, no, I was kidding. I was kidding. I was kidding. R Richie's not on the board anymore. Oh, hey, not even here to hear it. Anyway, no, this guy cursed me out because he was sleeping in his uh, truck and we didn't unload we weren't required to necessarily unload, especially if the back part was just stacked boxes and not pallets. So I had to go wake him up. Man, that was brutal. He called me things I didn't even know. He tied together things that I didn't know went together. I'm like, dude, I just work here. Go talk to my supervisor. So my supervisor comes over and he called him worse names than he called me. It was awesome, awesome. Anyway, this good job, you would, you would unload the trucks, and I learned what they wanted. And <clears throat> I also learned, don't buy your own coffee till the truck drivers get there. Sorry to our truck drivers. But if you say when the truck driver gets there, and especially the independent guys, because they wanted to get out quickly, you would say, oh, I'll be right with you, but I got to go get some coffee. Oh, here, let me buy for you. You learn that real quickly. But I love the trucks. We used to have 45 to 48-foot trailers, okay? Now, most of them, this one here is 53, 53-foot trailer, which just means you can put more pallets in it. And uh, when you would load them, it was a little different, a little harder, because you had to make sure the loads were even, so when they turned, you know, all of that. Am I right in this? Okay. Raise your hand, Robbie. You're going to flip the trailer. That's exactly right. Raise your hand, Robbie. This is Robbie's truck. This is, this is what he drives on a daily basis. When I was talking to him, now this is important. 
Well, let me tell you some statistics, and you can correct me on this, I don't mind. Uh, the, the cab is about 30,000 pounds. 10 tons. And then when it's loaded, but when it's loaded, 80,000 pounds, which is 40 tons. 40 tons. And when, yeah. When I was talking to Robbie, he's in Manhattan this week. I'm like, hey, Robbie, you know, give me a call when you get a chance because I wanted to talk to him about his truck. And uh, I'm like, how you doing? And he's very even keeled, if you don't know him. He's like, oh, it's been a little stressful. And I'm thinking, man, if he's stressed, it's got to be horrible. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I have my truck and I'm in Manhattan. I was like, eh. <laughs> he says, yeah, it's crazy. He says a lot of guys that aren't, aren't real truck drivers, they don't even want to drive in the Northeast. That's it. But my man Robbie's a real truck driver in Manhattan, 18-wheeler. <laughs> 40 tons. Now, if you've seen these trucks in Manhattan, or I'm going to go back to my warehouse days, they would back that baby up 40 tons between other trucks right up to the dock. I've seen them maneuver these trucks into areas that seemed impossible. And you know how it is they could maneuver these trucks into these impossible situations? Power steering. When you are in the middle of an impossible situation, You have available to you the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Robbie's too smart to do this, but, and I don't even know that it's possible. Hey, Robbie, uh, would you rather have a, 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 car, a truck with no power steering, or do you want the one with power steering because we're sending you to Manhattan? He's going to say, uh, I'll take the power steering, please. And yet there are believers all of the time that say, I'd rather do it on my own. Can I tell you this? Not me. I want all the power I can get because this life is too hard for me to handle on my own. I can't navigate the areas that I need to navigate without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't lift the load that I'm responsible to load without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do what God has told me to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. And our tenth promise is God will give you the power that you need. And He'll give it to you. And so I close by asking these questions. Are you living in obedience to the known will of God? Is there an area of your life, now these are, this is difficult, are there areas of your life that you've set over here that you know aren't pleasing to God, but you just set them over here, and yet you, you say you still want to live for God. I'm telling you, the very area that you set over here is the area that you need God the most. Give it all to God. But I'm afraid. Do it afraid.
Joyce Myers. Right? You ever heard her say that? Do it afraid. Better than safe is courage. I'm going to preach that in January too. Or today. Either way. Is there an area of your life that you know that's displeasing to the Lord, that you're living out of the known will of God? He's got something better for you. He's got the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you tired of waiting? Keep waiting. Because God is working. Are you tired or it just seems like you're just spinning your wheel, staying in the same place? Keep going. Because God's got something great in store for you. And the last thing I'll say to you, the victory is not that the obstacle is removed. The victory is that you hold on to faith. The victory is that you have peace in the midst of the storm. The victory is that you trust God no matter what's going on around you. The victory is I know that I'm not alone. The power of the Holy Spirit resides inside of me and I can get through this no matter what I'm facing. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.